Hark, it's an 87th Precinct bonus episode, and you've already heard the sound of Steve-O huffing his book, presumably, if I've faded this correctly against the music. No, there you go, he's still doing it for you. So, yes, we've looked at the book Like Love. It was the 16th novel in the 87th Precinct series from the latter part of 1962. The tale of romantic woes, explosions... Amateur filmmaking and badly handled suicide talk-down attempts. <laughs> so, as usual, the first thing we're going to do in our bonus episode is have a look at the covers of our book. And seeing as Steve-O's hooter's been right rammed into his, he can tell us what he's got there. Well, it's a... Um, Pictures to follow. Yeah, it's a picture of, uh, of a lady's leg. A lady's leg. With, uh, presumably attached to a lady at some point. With some hands and a garter belt. A garter belt. That could be pertinent to the plot. Indeed, yeah. When I saw the cover for this and reading it, started reading it, and I was like, "What the hell does that got to do with anything?" <laughs> and then, obviously, when you get yeah, right you... to the end of the book, you, you realise. Mm. But yeah, it's kind of a an Emmanuel kind of era <laughs> image. Yeah, it's sort of gone. Early pulp stuff was all painted and drawn stuff, and then some of the later yeah. pulp stuff, of which this reminds me, becomes photographic. And in, as a result, not quite as alluring. It's a bit more sort of stark and, and brightly lit, mm. like those Emmanuel films. You, it's a pan edition, isn't it, that you've got? It is. It's the 1976 pan, and it cost me £2.50 from the scribble inside this. Or £250. I can't remember <laughs> which. But. Well, do you think you'd remember whether you'd spent £250 <laughs> on a book? I don't know. You, mm. it might, your finances might support that lifestyle. It's desperate to finish <laughs> the get, collection. You saw that garter and the, on the cover. The, um, <laughs> the smell is of, of a medium smell. Medium? Medium. Okay. So, yeah, well, I've also got a pan edition, and I'll just, because of that, I'll just go next with my. Mine doesn't have a garter belt on the front. Mine's the 1983rd edition in the, in the pan, and it cost me £1. But the cover of mine has a reproduction of the crime scene drawing that's featured in the book. Oof. And in an evidence bag on top of it is a horrible pair of red panties with black lace around them. Oof. Can I have a, can a, little, have a look? A little tag on it, which I'll pass it over in a second, Steve, sorry. But the, the police department evidence tag has been filled out to be to say that it was found by Detective Cotton Hawes in the presence of Patrolman Robert Gennaro. Oh, so his the, brother. Yeah, presumably. So clearly the art department's tried to go for Dick Gennaro there, didn't know his first name and just called him Robert, even though I don't think he's in that scene <laughs> even at though all. Even Dick is clearly short for Richard. That's a bit strange, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't really know. Mine's fairly... It's got an all right odour for a 1980 paperback, sorry. I'll pass that to Steve-O to uh, compare, see whether... Yours is a bit more beaten up than mine. Mine's Yours is more very, pristine. very good condition. Well, for 250 quid. I <laughs> yeah, you expect it. You know, you get what you pay for. And, uh, Morgan, you've got... Uh, the It's just the Orderless. standard uh, 2005 Orion edition. What's the cover on that, then? Uh, it appears to be a broken gargoyle. Oh, presumably then that's suggesting that the building that she was stood on, the the girl at the, in the mm-hmm. Blanche in the first sequence, knocked a gargoyle off. Does she? I don't think she does that. Does I she? I don't think she particularly does. I think there is um, a mention. There's of, a mention of, of, of a, a gargoyle, gargoyle. definitely. The one fact, passing mention. Well, does that suggest that 
the person who designed the art for that book got as far as page one. I think so, yeah. And they're like, yeah, that'll do. Yeah. Next. Yeah, so that, that, that's it, yeah. The ledger was perhaps a foot wide running around the 12th floor, broken at the building's corner by one of those grotesque gargoyles which adorned many of the city's older structures. Yeah. The girl was unaware of the grinning stone head, unaware of the detectives, uh, yada, yada, yada. Blonde hair whipping over her shoulders. We can see some blonde hair in there. Oh, mm. Some blood. So it's like... I think they got up to page two, actually. Oh, well, well obviously. So, you know, there was me mocking them for only looking at page one. Never let it be said that they're not doing a thorough job. Of getting, <laughs> getting possibly 250 words into the book before, before going, yeah, I'll do. What's the dedication in that one, Morgan? Um, it's, it's to uh, Drajika. Uh, uh-huh. It's got a little bit. It's not just a standard one. So before 1995, it was only like love. Uh, uh, then I met my wife, Drajika. Oh, that's sweet. The original uh, dedication in, in my edition, and presumably Steve-O's as well, is the book is for Vivian and Jack Farron. And I could find out a little bit about them. Not much, but uh, Jack Farron himself was a native New Yorker, about the same age as uh, Evan Hunter, Ed McBain, who was a Broadway producer and who also produced the film Fuzz in 1972. Ah. And he also produced the US version, which I think might be the original version, of the TV programme Call My Bluff. Oh. oh <laughs> memories of Call My Bluff. I wonder if it was like our version of Call My Bluff. I would hope so. I think ours presumably was based on American. Well, Bob. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe this is a huge memory. Maybe there's millions and millions of people who have a call my bluff memory, but not all of them will have Bob Holness, Alan Corran, and uh, Sandy Toxvig as their main people they recollect. Alan Corran syndicated throughout the world for his quips. <laughs> so you left in a Alan Corran uh, thought moment there. And Alan Corran... That's a, that sounds like a, a prog- progressive rock band. <laughs> the Alan Corran thought moment. They'd probably be supporting the Alan Parsons project. <laughs> so only bands with Van in the name can support each other yep. or play with each other and only bands with Alan, Alan in the name. <laughs> Got to have a system, haven't you? Yeah. If no one's listened to the main episode, that won't make any sense. It, it barely make makes, sense. <laughs> makes sense as it is. Anyway. Uh, yes, but uh, Vivian Farron was an actress, but I think a stage actress, therefore not many uh, credits to find on online, really. So those are the additions we've got. I did, when it was Valentine's Day on the Twitter feed, I found loads of the covers and, and put them up online for Like Love, as I think it's the only book in the series that's got the word love in the title. Oh. And there is quite a variety of them, but I think quite a lot feature garter belts or panties, mm. which makes them. I don't say I don't want to say embarrassing to read in public, but <laughs> if people don't know what the books are, and it's 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 a bit of a weird thing, especially as it's a really horrible pair of pants. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of all the colours you could choose, that that colour red with that black lace trimming, mm, not for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll stick with me uh, gargoyle. Yeah, you you you'll be a sexy gargoyle. <laughs> So I put the call out for some listener questions, and I received some. And one that I did receive was, <coughs> he said, clearing my throat to read it properly, was not written on the piece of paper I have in my hand. Oh, that one is said. This was from one of our Twitter followers, which is George Kelly, who you can find at G Kelly Fiction, who himself is a crime and mystery writer in uh, London. And he asks, did McBain envisage the 87th Precinct series ending? 
Did he have a final book plotted out? Now, I did a bit of research. Can you imagine this? First, first and foremost, can you imagine the series ending? Had he not died, would he have carried on writing? What's your instinct? My instinct would be that he didn't have a plan for it to end and was no. just carrying on. Wrote them as and when. Yeah, because you know, yeah, I, I, yeah. I never had the feeling that he was there was an end in sight because they've not really got any older, have they? Particularly. Yeah, he's, he's therefore, the it's not as though they're all going to reach retirement yeah, age. That's or, it. He's not he's not going to kill them all off. I never thought, you know. So, um, not, not going to have old man Corella coming back for one last case before retirement. <laughs> yeah. or, you know, whatever. You know, Pete Burns must be about ninety years old in like. Oh, he's already he's months. already ancient if you follow the the timeline by this point. You mm-hmm. know, only sixteen books. Well, he's like yeah, he's permanently in his fifties, isn't he? You know. <laughs> yeah. The others age a little bit. I don't think he ages a day, really. <laughs> but yeah, so, nah. No. I, don't, I, well, ne- I never got that feeling, anyway. No, and the evidence sort of supports that, I suppose, as much as, as there is, really. In terms of what was left unpublished, I don't think there was much at all. Uh, he was, you know, he worked constantly, even through most of his illness. I think he adjusted, he used to work like 10 hours a day, and he eventually knocked it down to 8 hours a day as a concession to having, <laughs> you know... Cancer of the larynx or whatever, he sort of knocked a couple of hours off his working day. But there's, you can find a listing of what's in the archive you can access in Boston, the Howard Gottlieb archive, which I would love to go and explore, but I think that only lists a couple of unpublished things and they're not novels. The one that is known, the book that is known he was working on was one called Becker in Jeopardy. He'd written a book called Alice in Jeopardy, which Mm. was published. And he was working on one called Becker in Jeopardy and his plan was Mm. to publish a series of some so-and-so in Jeopardy uh-huh. novels going through the alphabet. So he, pla- he hadn't planned to stop writing <laughs> at any point, you know, and he was quite old by the time he started those ones. But Becker in Jeopardy was unfinished and there was some talk oh. of getting someone to finish it. Lawrence Block was asked and he would have... Lawrence Block, but, you could imagine, would do it. But I've, having followed him on, on Twitter for a while, I, I know of his opinion of people finishing off other people's unpublished works. Yeah, I've read a couple of different things. He sort of said it's some things are all right, you know, collaborations are all right, but perhaps finishing things off, you know. But that never came to pass, even though there was like some Amazon listings for the book as if it was going to be published, but it never has been. There was also rumours of an 87th Precinct story called Exit. People were saying that that existed and that was finished and ready to publish. But it as far as I can tell, it was just rumours. Uh-huh. There's not been any evidence for that. And so I think by the time he died, he wasn't doing... You know, he didn't have three or four books on the go at, at any one time. I think he was working on one at a time, and the one he was working on was Becker in Jeopardy. Uh-huh. So I would have assumed he would have come back to the 87th Precinct, but who knows? So, yeah, he definitely wasn't going to cap it off. It didn't even start, really. It just it was like it, suddenly we were just looking at a slice of... of of these yeah. cops' lives. Mm. It wasn't like he came in fresh from the academy, dot, 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 anything yeah. like that. Yeah, it's not like something like the Martin Beck series, which definitely charts kind of has a definite start and finish point, even though it is police procedural. It's, yeah, would sort of take they, they had the arc Absolutely, figured out before yeah. it even started. There was none of that with the 87th Precinct, so I can't imagine he would have, he would have planned any kind of uh, end point for it. And it's always weird when a series, a long-running series, does end. Um, Agatha Christie's Curtain, Poirot's Last Case, was published posthumously. And it's really weird. 
And but, I mean, she wrote it. Mm. But, but if anyone's read it or seen any of the adaptations, yeah, I saw it, it very recently, and you just—it was so unbelievable. It's it's <laughs> such I a weird believe way to treat it was the based on the book, but yeah. I wonder whether if she'd have been able to, she might not have had it published. But uh, that's the nature of things. It is weird when long-running series. Yeah. It's curious how he was right. His final book was a mystery about Boris Becker, though, isn't it? That's quite a strange. Boris Becker, Becker <laughs> in Jeopardy. It's quite a strange. So perhaps he was going to do tennis-themed. <laughs> yeah. See, uh, there, was, there was never any hint. Nastasi in Jeopardy. <laughs> There's never any hint at any point in the series that he, he wanted to wrap it. So some writers of a long-running series, they'll sort of do one... They'll, they'll, there'll be an entry in the series where it seems like they're trying to leave it as a possible end point, and then a few years later it's like, OK, I'll write another one. There was, there's none of those, are there? It's not like no. L. Frank Baum uh, trying to finish the Oz series after the fourth book, and then the money runs a bit low and it's like anyway so here's another one yeah and Sherlock Holmes as well of course mm. yeah that was popular demand wasn't it really that brought, brought him back yeah and um, yeah. The, the Philip Marlowe books as well I mean the, the long goodbye was definitely meant to be the last one and then you get payback and Poodle Springs um, yeah but there's no there's no indication I think at any point that he's got tired of the series and is trying to kind of wrap it up I think the fact that he was always writing other stuff and he just mm. used to come back to it more or less regularly, depending on which point of his writing career yeah, he was yeah, in. Because sometimes it was very much centre stage for him and then other times, well, it's probably about time I did a, another 87th... You, you, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, presumably he wrote them in the later stages when he had the idea to write about mm. or when something triggered it. You know, And obviously there's a lot of things going on in the early part of the 21st century that were triggering ideas yeah. you know the rise of terrorism etc was something new for them to deal with you know terrorism happening in cities and things like that mm. but if you wanted to be overly analytical you could look at fiddlers and say well there's characters and things in there that reflect his failing health and his, mm. his illness and stuff like that but I don't think he, he would have ever had a, a plan to cap it off no. potentially certainly not at this stage in which they were left anyway so anyway, that's the evidence and our answer to that question. What's some other questions? Oh, a good question from Ollie, who is at What Me Worry on Twitter, and it was a question he was saying about wanting to read more female crime writers and asking us about what are our favourite female crime writers. And it's been something that's been on my mind because I haven't read that many female crime writers. Snap! I've never read any Val McDermott, but I'd love to read some Val McDermott. Those must be quite gruesome, it. I think, aren't they? Uh, from what I understand. Um, so I gather, yeah. Yeah, a bit more, you know, grisly crimes. Well, I got these Marjorie Allingham books on my shelf now. I've got about five of those I bought secondhand recently, and a couple of Patricia Highsmith, which is supposed to be very, very good. Oh, I've always wanted to read um, Patricia Highsmith, but I haven't delved in uh, yet. Uh, Marjorie Allingham I've read a little bit of the, the, I seem to recall them being pretty fun sort of kind of almost sort of more satirical than than strictly just mystery novels yeah so there's like a 
good sort of like Huxleyan kind of social satire element to them, which is great. That's worth looking forward to. Well, you're, Mar- you're Martin Beck's obviously co-written. Yes, um, and, and they're, they're excellent. Fantastic. There's an, another female crime writer who read, I read a little while ago, and read a Margaret Miller once. That was who I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah that was totally. I can't even. Uh, all I remember is it was totally insane. This book, and it was just like. Oh my! It was about somebody locked in a room or something. What on earth is it called? Um, another one that it's got someone who's who's like somebody... bri- bricked up in a. Because I, I, I've read one Margaret Miller book and I thought it was excellent. Yeah, same here. Yeah, it was one of those crime masterworks. Mm. Uh, um, so yeah, Margaret so, Miller. Might I think be somebody she's worth definitely one to, to investigate further. Yeah, um, yeah the, the one I've mainly read about, is, is Agatha Christie and and mainly the Poirot story. What about I'm, Dorothy L. Sayers as well? Not read any Dorothy L. Sayers. Yeah, like that's, to. they're supposed to be very good, I think. But uh, a lot, lots of the you're kind of overwhelmed about how many there is to read, and you're just like, oh, you know. Yeah, and you tend to fall back on the things that you feel you can rely on. Yeah. yeah. So when you've got a series like the Ed McBain stuff, obviously you can. He is someone my eyes constantly open for, and I've started reading the Lawrence Block stuff as well, and, and it's so enjoyable. It's like I want that stuff. That is the thing with crime fiction: there's so many things you can just latch onto, and many people have long careers and are very prolific. So you, you just once kind of get into one of Rex Stout's Nero Wolf books, and then you sort of that takes up your next thirty years. And, mm. um, but yes, I'm extremely open to suggestions, as I'm sure. Uh, all our listeners would be interested in, in these things. So if you've got any ideas about female crime writers, then do share it with us on the our Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or, or email us or whatever because it's it's really interesting and it's nice to get names to have to look out for and, and, mm. and get on your shelves ready to, to be read. So there you go. Right. Okay. Check it checking my details here, checking my pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. Oh we had a question we had a question sent in whilst we were recording. <laughs> This is the kind of bleeding-edge technology we're operating with here. Uh, and the question is from uh, Jim Goodwin on Twitter. So, at Jim underscore Goodwin. Hello, James. And it is a question akin to one we've been asked a few times and one that we've sort of skirted around actually answering. Because <laughs> I don't think there is an answer. Which is about who's the best on-screen Corella. And if we were casting a series, who would we choose for each role? And this keeps cropping up over and over again. And it, and if you sort of look at our Twitter feed, you'll see that occasionally we have little spurts of people suggesting things that they who they think could be good for Steve Carella or hmm. characters within the series. In terms of the, the on-screen Carellas that do exist, the majority that I found, I did put... There is a, a blog post on our blog about it where I've listed them all, not attempted to rank them at all, and that takes in... Michael Higgins, Robert Bray, Robert Loggia, Robert Lansing, Tatsuo Nakadi, Jean-Louis Trignant. <laughs> I can't do that. Should have read it he first. He was the best, wasn't he? <laughs> he was good. Jean-Louis Trignant. <laughs> Jean-Louis Trignant. Burt Reynolds, Vinod Kanner. Burt Reynolds. Donald Sutherland, Joseph Abraham, Jiri Bartoshka, Randy Quaid and Dale Midkiff. Imagine uh, Donald Sutherland being quite good. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, I, I look forward to actually seeing the film that. Uh, I'm looking forward to that blood. other guy cropping up again. About <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Boris Becker, did he ever play him? <laughs> Boris Becker. The pictures I've found of of the various Corellas that I've put on the on the blog post from a, a little while back are all they're all pictures of these actors as Corella, not just random pictures. 
but the one of Burt Reynolds is he's in a locker room with his top off and his <laughs> moustache out. He's <laughs> not had a moustachectomy. <laughs> no. He yeah, looks, he looks like more... a human moustache, the amount of hair on his body. He probably, yeah, he probably just refused to get rid of the moustache. I, I, I imagine so. that was in his contract that whatever happens, the uh, the tash stays. Yeah, it's. Oh, I, I don't know what to think about the film Fuzz. We've not watched it yet, and it's a while till we get to the book. And it's certainly the biggest production based on an eighty seventh precinct book. But and who's Corella in that? That's the Burt Reynolds one. All oh, right, okay. Well, it's know. definitely going to be very oh, daft, isn't it? Yeah. Very brilliant. What? Oh. But, but <laughs> Ed McBain did the screenplay for it, so <laughs> we shall see. It's funny, funny, it was fuzz with the mustachioed Burt Reynolds. Oh, yeah. yeah fuzz, man fuzz all over his body. Yeah. A fuzzy man, if ever there was one. We Bert. need uh, the fuzziest actor going. <laughs> now, we leave the discussion of, of who to cast and, and who was the best to social media and things like that. It's so hard to say. I like I love Robert Lansing from the 87th Precinct TV series, but then he's the one I've watched the most. Mm. Even though the series itself isn't particularly phenomenal. It's good, but it's not it's not got the the grit of the books. Mm. Someone like Vinod Kanna who I mentioned doesn't really play Corella, he plays the Corella character in um, Inkar, which is a spin-off of High and Low, which is a spin-off of King's Ransom. So Bending the rules as to what a Corella, a Corella is on screen, really. There, but he's brilliant as a, a Bollywood type actor. You know, he's very charismatic and and stuff. So, fight it out amongst yourselves is <laughs> always the answer to that one, isn't it? And if we were casting it, we'd probably just cast some carry-on veteran anyway, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. Jim Dale is probably the only one left, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's the questions. We had some actual questions there from actual people. Tremendous. Well, maybe have I another. We've ba- disappointed you appropriately. <laughs> I'm sure. We'll we will. maybe have a bash at uh, answering that question when we get to podcast number forty odd, and we'll have watched as many yeah. versions as, as as is going at that point. I think mm. we need to. Yeah, we do need to get stuck into the evidence. Although by our own rules, we're sort of holding off until we get to the point That's at which true. these things occur. Yeah. And after the eighty seventh precinct TV series finishes, which. It, does in 1962. There's not much coming up. There's a few films, not all of which are easily got hold of. It's few and far between from here on, here on in. Mm. Argue amongst yourselves, as I say. <laughs> anyway. Oh, well, there we go. Questions. i tell you what I did mention in the main podcast, and I, I did tease that we might talk about it. I mentioned uh, something called True Crime. <laughs> this is... Steve, would you like to tell the listeners what your concept of a podcast well, called True Crime. Um, do we want to reveal that? Because uh, I don't know. Is, it, is some, this a somebody, somebody might might steal, but is this steal like, our idea. Is this like copyright? Where if you fix it in a material form, you have the copyright. That's on it. it. And you know, we could always get the uh, the, the hard legal team on it if anyone yeah. did. Uh, yeah, lawyers. well, we're going to have a podcast. Oh, well, we're going to do it as a feature. I don't know. Or we might not even bother Do doing we'll it work at all. Out the, work out the technical details. But it's going to be of abs- actual true crime that we're going to start off uh, talking about actual crimes that have definitely happened yeah. um, around the world. Yeah. There's a reason Involving that it's Involving steam got... engine, steamrollers <laughs> and nameless triplets. Perhaps, and the, perhaps the title barons. true crime doesn't end in a question mark but ends in an interrobang. True crime in Terrabang. I think that would be good. And again, if you've not listened to the main podcast, then, and you don't know what an Interrobang is... But I'm 
I'm purposely keeping the cards close to our chest, here, my chest here, because uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to let the cat out. Don't want to let the cat out the bag too I mean, much. You think think this is a winning format, which is going to make our fortunes? Yeah, definitely. So it'll, it'll be a true crime, but whether it's true in strictly sense of the word is in strictly sense of the word is perhaps. Um, Something to be considered. True, true crime, except in the sense of being factual. Yeah, so they will be factually accurate <laughs> crimes, but some of the events might have been altered ever so slightly. I don't know when we'll find time to do this. It might fail miserably. I think we've probably repelled more people than we will have enticed with that uh, well, that, sales that, pitch. That was the purpose, though, <laughs> the entire purpose of that. Because yeah, I don't want. It, well, the ambition is. I don't to... want his popularity to defeat it before it's uh, <laughs> got going. Yeah, the the ambition is to have a podcast that has no listeners but becomes the most successful podcast in the world. I can't remember. What and was the only the, way to do the that name is with true com- crime. I can't, rem- I can't remember the name of the um, cucumber baron who was crushed by the rock. To... He was South American, wasn't he? He was, yeah. he was Argentinian. Was Miguel, Miguel, somebody, wasn't he? I can't remember. But anyway, his name escapes me now. Well, you'll do the research. Yeah, right. well, of course, yeah. His name's um, immaterial, really, given he's dead. <laughs> so, yeah, hold on to your hats for that thing. <laughs> thing. Has anyone got any pressing matters to attend to here on this podcast now? I need to go somewhere and take all my clothes off immediately. <laughs> it is very warm, isn't it? It is. So do you know what would be a good solution for being somewhere really warm? Going to somewhere like Croatia, which will be even warmer. It will, but there'll be a delicious ocean one can jump in. Delicious ocean. Mm, (laughs) Salty. (laughs) Yum, yum, yum. Don't mean for the purposes of drinking it. (laughs) Deliciously refreshing. Yes, this is the the podcast that takes us up to the Hark Summer Break, which is literally a gap before the next episode, (laughs) which is what we would have anyway, where Steve-O is going to go and drink the Croatian ocean. I What's the I ocean? Might, I might take Mediterranean? A, I don't know. Um, Adriatic. Adriatic? I don't know. Adriatic, yeah. Okay. But I might take a McBain with me to read whilst I'm away. Seems like a plan. Whereas I'm going to New York and I intend to travel as light as possible so that I can come back with loads of books. Oh, yes. Okay, so that's my plan. Okay, right, we're almost at half an hour. We've talked, we've answered some questions. We've talked some mysterious rubbish. It's very, very hot. I'm sorry, everyone. We we can't carry on much longer. I'm going to say goodbye now. Goodbye. <laughs> Where's he gone? Anyway, we're, uh, cheerio. <laughs> Farewell. Well.